Welcome back, everyone, to another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast here on April 15th, 2021. I'm CJ Baumgartner, breaking it all down that's going on in Minnesota sports and a lot we have to talk to this week, uh, or to talk about, rather. The Minnesota Twins, we'll just start right off the bat with them, uh, no pun intended, um, because they really can't hit anything with their bats. Their offense has been uh, non-existent over the last couple days, um, which, you know, at the beginning of the season, it looked like the Bomba squad was back. It looked like, you know, Cruz and Buxton were on these hot streaks. Now everybody's just kind of turned cold. Um, Buxton hasn't been in the lineup the last couple days. I think it was a hamstring issue. Um, they're just being cautious because that's how the Twins are. Donaldson played in the nightcap, and so at least he's back. But um, this Twins, they, they haven't just been bad. Um, they've been unlucky here in the last week or so, uh, really. Um, I mean, well, over the course of the season, the Twins have lost, uh, I think, six games. They're five and six right now. Um, and they've lost them by a total of like eight runs, which means that this is just a team that's losing a lot of close games. They're just having a lot of bad breaks. I know the extra inning rule has definitely cost them, um, which also was a joke, um, but we can get into that later. Um, you know, I this team, if you break it down, I think the Twins are one of the most unluckiest teams so far in the season with the Colorado Rockies and the Chicago White Sox, but uh, the White Sox just got a no-hitter last night, so I don't know how unlucky – their luck might be turning around. That might be something good um, for them at least uh, because for the Twins right now, it's not going well. Um, they're like third place in the division, um, third or fourth right now. Um, which isn't a great sign, um, but it is still the second week of the season, third week of the season now. So I'm not going to get too carried away in everything. But again, it just there's this sky is falling mentality right now with the Twins, and it's just very, very weird to see because when you look at this team on a paper, they are a solid team. You know, the starting rotation has been great. Buxton, Cruz, all those guys have been great. But I think it's again, it's just you kind of go through some of these cold stretches. It happens early in the season. Um, I just think right now the Twins are boring. They're not fun to watch. Um, you know, uh, Rocco just seems to be pushing all the wrong buttons right now, which, again, about, you know, uh, the beginning of the 2020 season, I was about to say a year ago, but back in July, it felt like Rocco was pushing all the right buttons. It felt like, you know, the Twins team was just not skipping a beat. And now I think they're just kind of running into a wall a little bit. Um, none of the moves just seem to be working out. I know they're trying to kind of – Switch things up a bit. Stashek was optioned um, to St. Paul. And uh, Sean Anderson, who the Twins got in the Lamont Wade trade, was called up um, just to kind of try and get some new bodies here in the bullpen. Um, and there's this – again, there's a sky is falling mentality here. Uh, if you're on Facebook or Twitter, um, there's the sky is falling mentality here with the Twins. And I think that there is some – I think that there is some genuine fear in that. I think that there is some things that you can look at and say, okay, this isn't – this isn't great. But again, I think this is a long season. You know, people will say that all the time for all the people freaking out on social media. There's also a bunch of people on social media, including Brandon Warren, who's been on this podcast, saying, you know, the Twins are going to be fine. They're a good team. It's a long season. And I agree with that sentiment. The one thing where I will stray away from that a little bit on is, you know, major league seasons, uh, baseball season, it's it's a long season. Um, and the same thing could be said with the NBA and the NHL. Uh, in the NFL, if you start out 0-2, the sky's falling. If you start at 0-3, the sky's really falling 0-4, all that kind of stuff. If a team starts 0-4, there's a good chance a coach gets fired. Um, you know, um, whereas – so there's a lot of pressure to win right away in the season. And there is some of that pressure in baseball too, not as much. But if you don't have a good April-May, it really can set the tone for your entire season. And the case in point has to be the 2018 Twins 
who, uh, you know, when you look at them, they had a they had a decent start to the season the first couple weeks, and then the wheels kind of started to fall off a little bit in late April, early May. They dug themselves into a deep hole, and they were never able to climb out of it for the rest of the season. Um, and they spent it being, uh, you know, kind of hovering in that 500 to below 500 range. Um, so, and that's kind of string. I mean, heck, even in the 2017 season, the Twins started off hot. They cooled off in the middle of the season and then were able to kind of get hot enough to sneak into the playoffs. But, you know, usually uh, teams that make the playoffs, the 2006 Twins, I know, started off terribly uh, and then eventually caught their way up. But, you know, not every team is the 2006 Twins. You can't bank on your team just all of a sudden catching fire and then lighting the league up and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, there there is some cause for concern. This team does need to be playing better. They need to start winning games in a hurry. Now, they're only 5-6. and six. It's not like they started out with Oakland and started out 0-4. I mean, heck, the Astros started out 4-0, and and now they've skid. So, I mean, it is a long season, and there's ups and downs. And, and I think the, the best thing to Rocco Baldelli as a manager is he has a really good demeanor of kind of staying cool and level-headed through the ebbs and flows of the season. Um, I do think they need to figure something out. Um, they need to kind of, I mean, all it takes is one game to win to be all right. And I know the the two in Seattle, the twins should have swept the Mariners, let's be honest. And then they ran into a red hot Boston team who again, started 0-3 and now they've won like nine in a row. So, I mean, it's a, you got to just kind of roll with the flow a little bit here. So, um, but again, it just feels like Rocco is pushing all the wrong buttons right now. It feels like the twins just can't get hits. It feels like the twins pitching staff can't hold up and they're giving up runs early. Um, putting the offense behind, allowing the opposing team's pitcher to just kind of attack with that comfortable lead. Um, so there's, again, it's just nothing is going right right now over the last week for the Twins. Um, and all really it's going to take is just one game. They just got to win. Sometimes you just got to win a game and be like, you know, kind of like when a hitter gets in a slump. Like Miguel Sano, for instance. Miguel Sano's been slumping all season. He's been just terrible. Uh, not a great approach at the plate. Hasn't been able to get a lot of hits. Um, striking out a lot, and that's just kind of who Sano is. But all Sano needs is just one or two games to hit a home run, and all of a sudden he's back. Um, all the Twins need is just a one or two games to win, and they'll be okay. So this is a long season. I'm not going to say the season's over yet. It's definitely not fun, especially this early in the season, and the Twins don't turn it around within the next week or so. They have the potential to bury their season in April and May, and that's no fun. If you're going to bury your season by just getting cold, do it in the summer. Like don't don't burn out all, you know, don't burn out all interest. You know, cuz that was the 2018 Twins. They they got in a hole early and they weren't able to dig out of it and by June you were like, okay, this team's not making the playoffs. Like this team, you know. So, you kind of have to f- turn that around before you kind of lose your team early in the season. Um because the White Sox again, they haven't been having the start that they wanted. But they're still a talented team. They have the capability to go on a run. Cleveland is well-managed. Detroit's playing hot right now, but they're not a great team, so I'm expecting them to kind of – I don't think they're going to be a trash heap, but I think you know they're just not quite there yet. I'm not expecting them to take that next step yet. Um, They'll be probably below 500, but they'll be pretty close, I think, especially with A.J. Hinch now. So I think um, you know it's not going to be the AL Central of 2019 where the Twins just kind of beat up on all the bad teams and held their own against Cleveland. I think this is really going to be a year they need to kind of turn that around. So um, anyway, it's I think just the point I want to wrap up about the Twins is 
yes, this cold streak is concerning. Yes, the Twins need to figure some things out. But this is a long season, and um, they'll, they'll be fine. They just can't let this get out of control and bury their season uh, this early. Because they do have a tough schedule coming up, and uh, I'll pull it up here. But um, the Twins' schedule right now, so they're finishing up a four-game set with Boston. Um, they're um, getting ready to play as I'm recording this podcast. But I think no matter how the game goes today, um, win or lose, that the sentiment remains the same. I don't think them losing, unless they get blown out like 20-1 to 1 today, uh, later this afternoon, um, my feeling on the Twins stays the same, is that they need to turn this thing around. And all it can take is a win or two uh, to just kind of cool everybody off. Um, they, go on a west, uh, they go out to the West Coast for a road trip. Um, they have a three-game set against the Angels, who are 7-5 uh, and five right now on the Athletics. Um, then they go to Oakland. Um, for a three-game set, who again, Oakland, I know they're um, not, I know they haven't had the great start to the season, and they have, they're a little bit different than the last couple teams they had before, um, but they they still are a good baseball team, they still have some good pieces there, they still have some good pitchers, um, they'll have to play Sergio Romo, um, who's now with Oakland, so that you got a tough next seven games, and then you kind of have a three-game uh, stretch against the Pirates, where you should hopefully sweep them, at least win two out of three. Um, and then you have a three game set in Cleveland and then, you know, which is going to be tough. Uh, you're going to have to meet Eddie Rosario again. And then, then kind of the Royals, the Rangers, um, Tigers. So there's, again, they have a tough stretch coming up, going out West. Then they have to play Cleveland. They have a lot of in division games that they need to really win. I know Kansas city, um, is trying to be competitive. They traded for Benintendi. They kind of, you know, they're not, they're in a rebuild, but they're not trying to go full rebuild right now. So there's still, you know, these are still a lot of, you know, they say winnable games. There's still a lot of losable games here for the Twins if they don't get their stuff together. But there's a good chance that the Twins can just rip through all these teams. There really is. They just got to figure it out, and they're just not able to do that right now. All right, so changing gears here, and one thing I will want to add. So Anthony Edwards, obviously, and, and this kind of transition to the Wolves thing, Alex Rodriguez is buying the Timberwolves with help from somebody who has a lot more money than Alex Rodriguez, but Alex Rodriguez is kind of going to be the face of the purchase or kind of give it that star power. Um, Alex Rodriguez, uh, they ask uh, Anthony Edwards, 19 years old, first overall pick in the 2020 draft uh, for the Timberwolves. Um, great personality, great uh, fit for the team. Um, he says he has no idea who Alex Rodriguez is. And Anthony Edwards kind of seems like a BSer, like in a good way. Like he seems kind of funny like that. Like he's, he genuinely does not know who Alex Rodriguez is. And Alex Rodriguez played his final game in like 2013, 2014. So that was about seven years ago. So he's about 11 or 12 years old when Alex Rodriguez was on the peak of his career or was on the end of his career, I should say. Um, so I get it that he might not, it might've been a little bit before his time, but man, Alex Rodriguez was, I mean, he was the villain of baseball. Like he was like, Everybody knew who he was because you loved to hate him. And the fact that baseball is so unmarketable to some of these kids that they didn't know who Alex Rodriguez was. Heck, late in his career in 2013, he was going through a – 2012, 2013, he was going through a big uh, scandal with his second kind of accusations of steroids. So, I mean, there was – you know, there was plenty of controversy around him. His name swirled around, and I think the fact that baseball is unable to market to kids I, – I mean, I'm sorry. I know Anthony Edwards is just one guy. So it's, you know, maybe it's a being a little too harsh, but come on. 
Rob Manfred ruining the game of baseball. Um, I'll say it once. I'll say it again. Extra inning rule. It's a little league rule. It's stupid. I think if you want to implement it, you implement it after like the 13th inning. Let the teams play like one or two extra innings. I think if they go past that, then yeah, okay, time to bring in some measures so we don't have a marathon game. But I think it's just ridiculous. I think this extra inning rule, it's not just because it's bit the Twins. I thought this was a bogus rule from the start last season. I thought they'd be done with that. We don't get a universal DH, but you know what we do get? We get a runner on second base to start extras. It's a Mickey Mouse rule. It's just Rob Manfred is an out-of-touch commissioner. Um, I mean, I've said it on this program before. I'll say it again. He is the worst commissioner out of the four pro sports. He has no idea what he's doing trying to change his game. A lot of people have given a lot of different options on how to fix baseball, and almost all of them are better than anything Manfred has come up with. Um, so that's just my little soapbox to kind of end that and saying baseball needs to do a better job. I mean, heck, they suspended Nick Castellanos. Um, if you don't know that, just uh, YouTube uh, Castellanos versus Cardinals, um, and you'll see the video of him just basically pimped a home run on opening day, gets pelted in the ribs the next day by the Cardinals, and then on a pass ball, gets to home. Uh, he was on third base on a pass ball, scores, and then just kind of flexes over the pitcher. No punches, nothing, no fights. I mean, the benches did clear, but there were no punches thrown. There was no physical altercations. And Major League Baseball suspends him two games for showing emotion. I know we come after the NFL too much for not allowing their players to play, but at least the NFL has even realized that it's good for the brand to let players be themselves and show emotion. This is just ridiculous. So um, Castellanos appealed the suspension, um, still appealing it. Um, he is still playing right now, but uh, you know, it's just ridiculous. Major League Baseball is ridiculous, and it's because it's a sport I love and a sport that I care so much about, and seeing it you know, being killed by a people who really don't know what they're doing is just – it's infuriating. But uh, that's a discussion for a different day. Uh, so Alex Rodriguez – uh, if you didn't hear, is going to buy the Minnesota Timberwolves, something that was announced uh, late last week, almost a week ago. Um, Alex Rodriguez, and, and I know, and I, again, said before, there's some guy who has way more money that's pumping it into this. That's why A-Rod's able to buy the team, but he's the face of it. And A-Rod's a villain. And don't we all like to just focus on the villains? Um, Alex Rodriguez is not buying this team to keep it in Minnesota. I'm sorry. I know that Glenn Taylor, current Wolves owner, says that he's that he wants to make sure the Wolves stay in Minnesota. And I believe him. I believe that he does want to keep this team in Minnesota. Um, and I believe that he wants to sell the team to somebody who's going to keep it in Minnesota. And, you know, I, I think that the, he'll probably have some agreement in there that says that the team has to stay in Minnesota for X amount of years. But if it's like a five-year, ten-year thing, and then – you know, they just wait for the thing to expire and then they wait for the terms to expire and they're like, yep, we're leaving. Bye. You know, or basically say the Target Center is a dump. We want a new stadium. And the city of Minneapolis will be like, no, you just renovated Target Center. We're not doing that. And then they say, you know, or they make way too high of demands to where the city has to tell them no. Then they say, we couldn't work out a deal. We're going to Seattle. We're going to Las Vegas. I'm sorry, A-Rod just does not seem like a guy who's who wants to stake his sports franchise in Minnesota, despite the fact that he owned the Twins for his entire career. So I I don't think he's buying this team to keep it here. Um, and I believe Glenn Taylor when I said he wants to try and sell it to somebody who's going to keep it in Minnesota. But Glenn Taylor also gave a max contract to Andrew Wiggins, because he's, and he looked Andrew Wiggins in the eyes and said, you promise you will work hard for this contract or you will 
live up to the this contract? And Andrew Wiggins said yes, because of course you're going to say that. Of course you're going to look him in the eyes and you're going to say yes. Of course – and that doesn't mean that Wiggins didn't intentionally, you know, not play not play. I think that's just Wiggins' personality. I think it's on the Wolves for giving him a max contract. But um, Alex Rodriguez, again, yeah, I'm going to buy an NBA franchise. Yeah, I'll keep it in Minnesota, whatever you say, Mr. Taylor. All right, let me sign this dotted line here. All right, five years, year six, uh, start getting uh, some ground laid in uh, Seattle. Um, I just – I. I don't know. I, I, I really don't have a lot of optimism with it. It just feels like it's inevitable. Um, now, the only thing that could change it is if the Wolves get good and they get good fast. Like the 2001 Twins, where the 2000 Twins, you know, after that season, the poll ads tried to contract the team and just cease it from existence. And then the 2001 Twins came. They made it all the way to the ALCS. They were almost to the World Series. And then they won – you know, missed the playoffs in 2002 and then won 03 or they made the playoffs in, or I think it was 2002. They made the run. So it was 2002, three, four, um, you know, made three straight playoff berths and then people showed up to games. The tickets sold. Johan Santana was great, sold jerseys, all that kind of stuff. So that's what the Wolves are going to need to do to keep this team in Minnesota. Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, the whole crew are going to have to win games. They're going to have to be a playoff contender. And I don't even think they need to necessarily make it to a Western Conference Finals. They just need to get into the playoffs and win a series. That's all I, I think the that's the bar is set. Because I think if the Wolves can put a winning product on the floor, Minnesota is one of the most underrated basketball communities in the country because everybody thinks of Minnesota with hockey, and that's true. But the love for basketball in Minnesota is really rich. I mean, you look at all the top collegiate prospects, um, I guess I should say the top high school projects going to play college basketball to some of the top programs in the country, Jalen Suggs, um, you know, the Jones brothers, um, uh, Michael Hurt uh, with uh, Duke, um, you know, just across the country, there's all these different Minnesota kids who are going on to play for these top programs. And Gary Trent Jr. is another one, um, just a lot of that. And then they get onto the NBA. So I think there is a rich basketball community in Minnesota. I just think that if the Wolves could put a good product on the floor, and you kind of saw that in the Jimmy Butler year uh, when they did make the playoffs, that people came, the arena was fun. Like watching it on TV was just fun. Like you could sense like there was energy in the target center. So I think if the Wolves can even just make the playoffs, I think that there will be enough people buying tickets. There will be enough people buying jerseys that the ownership can't justify moving the team. But the Wolves right now are trying to keep the tank going to try and get to that point. Um, they got crushed by Brooklyn last night, uh, yesterday afternoon. But again, Carl um, Anthony Towns wasn't playing. Personal reasons, um, I believe it was for a memorial service for his mother who passed away of COVID-19 um, over the last summer, which again, condolences to him and his family. Um, but um, when he does get back and, and next season even, um, no matter what happens with the lottery pick, um, if the Wolves keep it or if it goes to Golden State, it ha the future plan going forward has to be Carl Anthony Towns plus Anthony Edwards with D'Angelo Russell. And it's important to justify it's not Cat plus Edwards plus D'Lo. It's Cat and Edwards with D'Lo. And I think D'Lo can fit that role because he is a good passer. He can set um, people up. I think that has to be his role. And I think he can score, yeah. And does he have the potential to take over games? 
he can at times, but not enough. I'd rather have Cat. I'd rather put the ball in Cat's hands than I would put it in D'Lo's hands. Um, Ant hasn't got to the level of shooting quite yet to be able to say I want the ball in his hands, but I think if he develops, he could be. Um, but again, D'Lo is a better passer. He's a great um, administrator. I think he could be that kind of person, that kind of floor general, if the Wolves kind of coach him into that role and kind of game plan him into that role. Um, I just think that the Cat and D'Lo pairing, having them be on the same level, isn't what's going to work because Cat and D'Lo aren't at the same level. They're not even close. Now, neither is Anthony Edwards right now, but Anthony Edwards is so raw that you could just do so many different things with him that I think Cat and Ant with D'Lo has to kind of be the motto going forward. And I think Chris Finch realizes that, the Wolves head coach, who I think, you know, I was skeptical of bringing him on, thought the Wolves kind of did um, Ryan Saunders dirty. But again, Ryan Saunders just wasn't ready to be a head coach. And I think the more you watch Chris Finch, the more you see what he's doing with this Wolves team, the more you realize, oh yeah, that's true. Like he he Saunders just wasn't ready and Finch comes in he's bringing structure to a young team he's bringing in an offensive vision he's had experience coaching teams around the country um even in Canada I think he was on the he was on the Raptors um when they won the title I believe so he's he's got he has a lot of experience coaching on a lot of different teams and I think that he really does bring something to the Wolves and but I think the biggest thing he brings is just structure and a vision and a plan. And that's not to say that Saunders didn't have that, but Saunders didn't have the experience in the NBA to really effectuate that plan, to really know how to put it in and how to make it work and how to do, you know, kind of how to keep up with today's NBA. I think Saunders will get there at some point. Um, it just stinks and it's not with the Wolves, but Finch brings in that kind of leadership, that kind of presence. And I think he knows, Finch knows uh, to put Cat and Ant together and have D'Lo as the side piece. Um, because D'Lo's start, been starting games off the bench. Now, whether that's, you know, just for minutes, whether that's because of the rotations, um, you know, whatever. But the Wolves still have to fix the defense. Uh, obviously, that's been true for the last, like, tw since they traded Kevin Garnett. Um, but the Wolves have to figure some things out. Obviously, they got to figure out what they want to do in the offseason. They don't have a lot of cap room to play with, and if they don't get the lottery pick, they're going to have to get really creative in how they try and readjust this team. But I think just a full offseason of Finch and Rosas, just kind of figuring out what their vision is for the Timberwolves is going to be huge. Um, I think that's going to be the biggest thing. Um, I think getting all Cat, Ant, and D'Lo healthy together um, is going to be another big hurdle because when they are together, they, they show signs of a team that can at least make the playoffs in the West. Um, how much they can do will depend. But if they get that lottery pick, this is going to be a really talented, well, this is going to be the most talented Wolves team they've had. Um, you could say since Jimmy Butler was there, but besides Jimmy and Cat, um, it was a lot of, you know, kind of a lot of mishmash. Um, might be the most talented team since Garnett. Um, just in terms of pure raw talent with Cat and D'Lo and Ant and then a Suggs or a Cunningham or, or whoever they get. So there's a lot resting on this lottery pick, but um, again, what's weird is the Wolves, and this has kind of been the Wolves for the last couple of years, you can see where a winning team can come out of this, but the Wolves just haven't been able to finish on the other end. So we'll see if they can uh, get through and do that and make the playoffs. But speaking of a team that will make the playoffs, um, the Minnesota Wild. So they have 15 games left to go. I think it would be a catastrophic failure if they were to miss the playoffs at this point um, because when you look – at the rest of the season, 
uh, for the Wild, and I'm pulling up their schedule here. They only have 15 games to go. Um, they made no moves at the trade deadline, which, again, I think is a good thing. Um, I think them staying pat and saying they, you know, they have Boldy, um, their 2019 draft pick, uh, first round. Uh, now that he's done at Boston College, he's contributing at Iowa. Some people are kind of hoping that maybe the uh, Wild call him up for the playoffs. Could happen. But, um, you know, I think uh, with 15 games left to go, um, the Wild kind of, they're not in that full contention window. They're a team that's going to make the playoffs and at best win a series. But um, it, I, it's smart on the front office here for not uh, for really not <clears throat> trying to go all in on a year where it's really not possible, especially in a pandemic and with the cap situations for a lot of teams, trades just kind of are complicated. So I think it was best for them to just sit pat and not sell the farm, not give up any draft picks, especially because um, with the Wild, they're a team that's still trying to get out of the Paul Fenton days. They're a team that's still trying to figure out you know, new GM, uh, Bill Green, you know, trying to figure out what this team, what his team is, still trying to put together his organization. So that's going to take a little bit of time, and you want draft picks to be able to do that. So um doesn't make sense for them to, to do that right now. So I think that's a smart move. I think you're basically locked in to getting the three seed. Again, with 15 games left to go, um, they, gotta, they got, again, they, they should get you know, you'd hope nine points out of these next four games. So they're playing the Sharks twice and then the Coyotes twice um, after beating the Coyotes 5-2 to two yesterday. Um, so I think there's a solid chance here for the Wild to pick up some points. And then they got some, again, they really, they have a tough kind of end of the schedule when they have to play uh, the Blues uh, four games in a row, and then they have to play the Knights twice, but then they finish the season playing Anaheim and St. Louis, or Anaheim, and then they finish against St. Louis. So the Wolves, wild, excuse me, uh, have a have kind of a tough back half of these last 15 games, but, you know, the next six games are very winnable, and the next four games especially. So I really think we got to, I, I really think the Wild have a, a good chance to, I don't think they're going to jump anybody. I think they can just solidify that three seed. Now, when you look at the points um, so far, uh, if you look at the standings here, now again, the top four teams from each division get a playoff berth. Um, the Wild are sitting comfortably in third place with 53 points. Um, Colorado's sitting at the top with 64. Vegas is sitting in second with 60, and that's kind of been the power struggle. Who's going to win? Is it going to be the Avs? Is it going to be the Knights? Um, the Wild are sitting comfortably in third. Uh, the Blues are in fourth with 44 points. And I think the Wild are just kind of stuck in that third-place purgatory where it's going to take a lot. They're going to have to win a lot in Vegas or Colorado. We're going to have to lose a lot for them to be able to leapfrog one of those two teams. Um, and it's going to take a lot for St. Louis to leapfrog the Wild. So I think they're comfortably sitting in that third-place spot. Um, I know the Coyotes are 43 points. There's still an outside shot they can make the playoffs, but... Um, you know, I just think that basically it's going to take a lot for the wild to even go to the fourth spot, let alone miss the playoffs. So I would say it's a, it's a safe bet that they're going to make the playoffs, but again, it'll be kind of nice to see this team once they get out of the West and they play some different teams. And it was kind of like that with the twins last season. It was, you know, despite the fact that they uh, looked helpless against the Astros in those two games, it was after playing 60 games against the same team. It's nice to see this team get away 
and play some other teams to kind of see how good that team really was. Now the Twins um, won the division the year before with almost the same team in 2019. So it wasn't like we didn't know they knew how to beat teams outside of the Central. But this wild team, especially with Kaprizov and the new head coach and just kind of how everything's looking, to see them play some of these teams outside of um, their division will be good to see. And it'll be good to gauge this wild team and see how good they really can be and kind of how optimistic we should be about their future. So that's uh, that's kind of the soapbox on that for the wild. Uh, moving on to the last part of the podcast here, talking about the Minnesota Vikings Uh They've been kind of quiet. It's kind of that post-free agency period where teams have already made their moves. They've already cut the players they're going to. They've kind of restructured the contracts. Everything is basically um, kind of in a lull right now. Teams are hunkering down. They are figuring out their draft plans. And let's be honest, most teams have already kind of figured out what they want to do in the draft. Um, Now it's two weeks away, um, two weeks away from today. There's still a lot that can happen, but uh, I think – it's still firmly – a lot of teams already have their plans. A lot of teams are already pretty comfortable on who they're going to take or players who they're not going to take if they want to trade up, trade down. Um, and most teams kind of spend these last couple weeks just kind of going through draft simulation after draft simulation, practicing what happens if this player falls to be taken, what happens if this player uh, what happens if this player we want gets taken early, who do, who's our backup plan, do we trade up, do we trade down, what happens, You know, who, what are players we want to trade up for. All the scouting and evaluation are done. Aside from some last-minute pro days, I know the top quarterbacks are doing second pro days, but um, you know a lot of minds are already made up. It's just kind of, all right, now let's get ready for the day um, and just kind of go over some last-minute kind of double-checking stuff. So with that, I think, you know, basically it's all draft coverage, and I love talking about the draft. So I think, I mean, common sense says that the Vikings have to take an offensive lineman at 14. You know, whether it's a guard and you kick Ezra Cleveland out to tackle, um, what, whether you take uh, just a tackle and then leave Cleveland at guard and you kind of try and patchwork your – I think for whatever reason, I think it would make more sense. I think the Vikings are going to talk themselves into kind of getting a player and putting them at guard and then rolling with Rashad Hill at left tackle. So you put Rashad Hill at the tackle, you have Cleveland at the left guard, you have Bradbury at center, you draft somebody to become that right guard, Brian O'Neill stays at the right tackle, and there's your offensive line for the year. I know the Vikings traded for uh, a lineman from Arizona, but it seems more like that kind of Brett Jones like depth piece just to get a guy in the building, um, to kind of put a roadblock between the Samias uh, of the world, the Samias and the Dakota Dozers of the world. Um but again, the Vikings kind of just patchwork their offensive lines and then just kind of hope that it holds together uh, like it did in 2017. But in 2017, they did sign two offense. They signed two offensive linemen and drafted one in the third round. So they drafted Elfline, who was good his rookie year. Um, Riley Reef was, again, I, I'm a Riley Reef apologist. I think he was a solid average to above average tackle. I didn't think he was great, but I thought that he could hold his own against most of the edge rushers, and that's really all you needed. Um, Mike Remmers was meh. You know, he was fine. Like, But again, I think Case Keenum being able to have that scrambling mentality uh, kind of saved the Vikings from how you know bad the offensive line looked because then you put a guy with cinder block feet in there like Kirk Cousins or even a guy with cinder block feet like Sam Bradford um, in 2016, and you saw how bad the offensive line can be because under Zimmer, uh, the Vikings have 
refused, and Spielman hasn't been great at picking offensive linemen either, but uh, Brian O'Neill might be the only exception. But outside of that, the Vikings have refused to address the offensive line and just kind of patchwork it together, which I think is the one position that always just kind of gets patchworked together. But the Vikings don't patchwork it together with good talent. They just kind of patchwork it together with what they can find um, because they want to focus on other positions. And I think that's really what's killed Zimmer. I think that's I think that's really what kills Zimmer's team sometimes is just they ignore the offense and Spielman again because he's the guy who gets the final save. But, you know, Spielman and Zimmer's teams have been held back. You look at 2016, the offensive line is what held them back more than anything because they couldn't generate any offense because Sam Bradford had cinder block feet, couldn't stop them, um, couldn't get anything going with the running game because you're on your third string running back most of the season. So, again, um, it's – it's one of the things that's held them back, and I think they need to address it because, again, if the Vikings fail, you know, you could point fingers at the defense, but the defense will be better this year. They just will be inherently. But if they fail, it's going to be because of the offensive line, and it's going to hamper Kirk Cousins. It's going to hamper Dalvin Cook. And I think I, – I can't remember who said this. I, I can't remember if it was ESPN's Courtney Cronin or if, um, whoever said this. If you want to have a good – if you coach your offensive line and you draft your offensive line and you bring an offensive lineman to be a good run-blocking team, you will be a good run-blocking team. But how's the pass game looking? Dalvin Cook, I think, is a good enough runner where you don't need to have – you don't need to train the offensive line specifically to run-block. I think you can have them focus on pass-blocking and say, all right, but also you need to be able to do this. Like – I think they put too much emphasis on being the run team that it takes away from their offense as a whole and then takes away from their team. Um, So again, I'm on kind of soapboxes today, but I think it's just important to note that this Vikings team um, has been held back because of the inability to figure out the O-line and not because the Vikings haven't tried. It's not like the, it's not because the Vikings have tried, I should say like, it's not like they took big swings and misses. I mean, Brian O'Neill was a raw tackle that ended up working out for them because he was athletic. Um, but outside of Brian O'Neill, I mean, what did the Vikings really did? I mean, Pat Elfline was a third round center and he only had like one or two years before you figured out he couldn't play. Um, Garrett Bradbury's been a, a meh signing. He's been a, or a meh draft pick. He was a, you know, he's like, I'm not going to go all as far as saying he's one of the biggest busts the Vikings have had. I think he's like, I think he's just meh. Again, like he can run block, but he gets when he has some of those bigger uh, interior defensive linemen, he gets pushed around because you drafted to run block. You are you are planning it to run block, and then you get surprised when your team can't stop pass rushers when they pin their ears back. Um, so um, that's kind of my thing because I think the Vikings will talk themselves in if there's a good defensive edge rusher or a good cornerback. I can see them saying best player available and taking it. Zimmer already laid the groundwork uh, in a press conference after free agency saying they thought they've addressed the team enough where they don't need, they're not pigeonholed into one thing. And that's great. But the only problem is, is you are pigeonholed into taking an offensive lineman. Now this draft has a lot of good offensive linemen. You're high enough in where, and there's a lot of quarterbacks. So you're high enough in where the quarterbacks will run, the offensive lineman will slide and you can snag somebody at 14 without having to trade. Um, but I just, I can see them doing it. I can see them talking themselves into 
uh, taking an offense or a defensive lineman or a cornerback. Now, again, the reason that they would have to take a cornerback is because um, uh, is because Jeff Gladney uh, might not be with the team. It's still kind of in flux. Obviously, um, this happened last week, but it, um, you know the the news of uh, of, of uh, assault uh, charge against him turned himself into Dallas County Police. Um, so that whole thing has to get worked out. But there is a good chance that Jeff Gladney is not with the team to start the season, whether because he's working on a legal thing, whether because he's suspended, or whether because he's not with the team anymore. So Patrick Peterson, Cam Dantzler, maybe Mike Hughes, but Mike Hughes hasn't been able to stay healthy and has just kind of not been able to really do much when he's in. So the Vikings could say, well, yeah, but we need to take a corner because that room is pretty depleted. Um, I... I don't know. I could see it happening, and then they could see themselves drafting a guard in the second round, kind of like they did with Cleveland, Ezra Cleveland, and saying, you know, let's just kind of bring in a guy and see what he does. I don't. You better be dang sure that those rookies are going to be good. How many offensive lines are good when you plug in two rookies, none of which are a first round pick? If that's the case, if the Vikings don't take an offensive lineman in the first round, it doesn't happen. Unless you're dang sure you can evaluate offensive linemen, and Spielman has not had a great history of evaluating offensive linemen. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, especially because now that the Panthers traded for Sam Darnold. The Panthers trading for Sam Darnold means that theoretically they're not gonna take a quarterback. Now I know there's some people saying they still could. I don't think you trade as much as the Panthers traded to make him your backup or to draft somebody high and, you know, to draft Trey Lance at eight or whatever they're picking. Um, but it does mean that the Panthers could use uh, that pick to trade back with a team that does want to draft a quarterback and then accumulate more assets. Or they draft an offensive lineman to protect their new quarterback and to block from McCaffrey. That could be something. Um, they could also take a wide receiver too. I think that might be a smart case. Um, I know they have Curtis Samuel, but just give Darnold some weapons. Um, then you have Samuel, um, you know, take, uh, Devonta Smith or Jalen Waddle. And then you have a, and then you have a pretty solid receiving core, I think, to kind of build around with Darnold. Um, but I could also see sometimes you just take a, it, taking an offensive lineman is boring, but it's needed. Sometimes, you know, it never hurts your team to take an offensive lineman. Most of the time, like it's, you know, nobody's ever going to say, ah, too many offensive linemen. Like the Dallas Cowboys are proof of this. You just bring in a bunch of bodies. You bring in a bunch of talented offensive linemen and the Dallas Cowboys have had one of the better offensive lines in football for the last six years, seven years. So um, I know they've had a couple guys retire and move on and all that, but um, they still had a great history because they still would just keep bringing in guys kind of like Zimmer tried to do with the cornerback room, just keep bringing in more guys, uh, you know, when they had – uh, Rhodes and um, when they had Rhodes and they had Trey Waynes and they had Terrence Newman and then they just brought in uh, Mike Hughes because they wanted to keep replenishing that room. Uh, that's what you have to do with offensive linemen. Um, but anyway, I think we need to look at some mock drafts just to kind of see what the feeling is around the NFL. And I tried to play, I tried to pull up these drafts earlier so a video wouldn't play. But if one does, uh, just be aware of that. Um, Kind of waiting for this draft here to load. This is from CBS. Um, 
and it looks like a video might play so thought we could avoid that um, we'll just have to see what happens here but um, this is a quick mock draft here from Chris Trapasso of CBS um, and when you look at the uh, when you look at the first pick obviously uh, Trevor Lawrence um, no surprises there oh, yep the videos all right Trevor Lawrence no surprises there um, then um, you uh, again, trying to scroll down but laptop being a little slow here uh, number two pick Zach Wilson I think that's uh, Justin Fields at number three that's how it's gonna go Denver Broncos it has them trading up to get Trey Lance um, interesting and a four for four something that I don't think has ever happened before in the NFL draft with quarterbacks um, so then uh, pick five the Bengals take Jamar Chase the wide receiver out of LSU to give a weapon to Burrow or reunite him with um, uh, one of his top receivers when he was at LSU um, has Devonta Smith going to the Dolphins Kyle Pitts going to the uh, Falcons who uh, traded with the Detroit Lions to uh, uh, get up to number seven to do that um, I think when you and then again uh, kind of the prediction here um, is Panay Sewell the offensive lineman so all these wide receivers go the Panthers stand pat they say we're going to take an offensive lineman to protect our new quarterback um, and then it kind of leaves the top offensive lineman off the board. But I think if the draft went this way for the Vikings, it'd be pretty good because there's a chance they're still going to get one of the one of the better uh, linemen, offensive linemen, uh, kind of where they're at. Then it has the Lions taking Waddle, has the Cowboys taking J.C. Horn, um, Giants taking Zayvon Collins, um, kind of has the Chargers taking Rashawn Slater, um, the tackle out of... Uh, Northwestern, who I think the Vikings should take. I'm pretty high on. Um, but again, with the Chargers, a team that, again, has their franchise quarterback, so they can either get him weapons or they can get him uh, blocking help. And I think with Mike Williams and with Keenan Allen, I think that there's a good chance that they just new head coach. I think it's a safe bet for a new head coach to pick an offensive lineman as your first overall pick. It's steady. It's safe. Um, and again, with the two top tackles off the board, with the two top offensive linemen, the Vikings could – um, the Vikings could take Elijah Vera Tucker, the offensive lineman out of USC, but in this mock draft, they have him taking Jalen Phillips, the edge rusher out of Miami. Um, and that is something I could very well see happening. Again, the Vikings will talk themselves in saying we need to reload on the defense, ignore the offensive line. We'll address that later. Let's just get this top talent. And again, they could have a very good defense. I'm not saying that Jalen Phillips would be a terrible pick in itself. But when you pigeonhole yourself into having the draft for need, like they're doing with the offensive line, they're going to run into that. So that is the Patriots taking Mac Jones. Um, Elijah Veritucker going to the Cardinals. Um, just kind of rolling down the line here. Rashad Bateman, go for wide receiver, going to the uh, going to the Bears, rather. Um, kind of rolling down the line here, just seeing if there's any kind of big news. Maybe it has the Vikings trading back into it. It doesn't look like it does. Um... So yeah, that's uh, trying to see how I think this is just a second round thing. So we'll go to the second round here. Um, the Vikings again don't have a second round pick um, because of the unique Ngakwe trade, but they do have a, th uh, a third round pick. So this is a two round mock draft. Um, we're not going to jump into that one because obviously the Vikings don't have a second round pick. Um, jumping into uh, kind of we'll, we'll get one more mock draft here, and I think that should about round it out.
Um, I know it feels like I'm ranting on the Vikings, but it's again because the Vikings I think can be a good team. I think like the I think the the moves they made in free agency are actually really good. Um, I know they weren't able to get an offensive lineman, and that could come back to bite them. But like I think the moves they made on defense have basically said, all right, now go get that offensive lineman. I think they've pigeonholed themselves. I don't think it's smart. You know, it's to pigeonhole yourself in the draft because then sometimes if there's a run on players, then you don't necessarily get the best player available. You kind of reached kind of like they did with Bradbury um, for kind of like what they did with Bradbury a couple of years ago in the draft. But um, this is a seven round mock draft. So we're not going to go too far into it. We're going to have just kind of scroll through here. This one has the 49ers taking Mac Jones, the Falcons taking Trey Lance. So the Bengals take Penny Sewell. Um, kind of rolling down the line here, um, has the Giants taking Slater, so kind of that run on offensive lineman, which could happen. Um, this one has the Vikings taking Elijah Vera Tucker, who can play tackle, who can play guard, so the Vikings can kind of try and figure out where they want him to go. I think I wouldn't be upset with Vera Tucker. I haven't done enough homework on him to know if he's a, a home run pick. I think Rashawn Slater, uh, because he played in the Big Ten, he's just a big guy, he's just strong, I think can help whether you put him at tackle or guard, I think can yeah. I think maybe he's more of a tackle, but again, um, you're just a big guy um, and strong. So I think you know that helps out a lot. Um, I think now kind of just going down the line here, um, trying to see if the Vikings trade back in. Doesn't look like they do. Um, so now we kind of go to round, skip through round two, um, going to round three going into round three here which is where the Vikings have another pick is looking here Vikings also did get an extra pick um, with uh, by trading Ngakwe to the Ravens so there is that they do get an extra pick in that this one has the Vikings taking linebacker Jabril Cox out of LSU. He was a grad transfer, played at North Dakota State. Um, so just kind of that replacement for uh, Eric Wilson, who went to Philadelphia, kind of to get um, the kind of the uh, next wave of linebackers um, in the building, kind of some guys you can develop, be kind of special teams role players and kind of work from there. Um, rolling down here to see what the Vikings got for their second uh, third-round pick. This is I'm taking Hunter Long, the tight end out of Boston College. Um, now, this one has – their reasoning is that the Vikings, with getting rid of Kyle Rudolph or Smith, goes number one. You want him to be number two. I think the Vikings like Conklin at number two. So I can see them, if they do take a tight end, maybe do it later in the draft as kind of a complimentary piece um, to those guys. But, again, you never know. Um, so we're kind of rolling down the line here. Um, seeing the Vikings next pick. Um, this has Darius Stills, defensive tackle out of West Virginia, trying to, I know they got two D tackles in the draft, but you can never have too many good um, defensive linemen. Um, this one, uh, the Vikings has them with another pick at 125, taking Nico Collins, the wide receiver out of Michigan. Um, again, uh, again, you got to kind of get another wide receiver in the building. I think after Thielen and Jefferson, it really isn't close. Like I know there's Chad Beebe. I know there's, um, I know there's, um, blanking on his name, um, BC Johnson. Um, so there are some players, but again, I think, you know, you have to try and get uh, another wide receiver in the building. And 
Um, in the next pick, 134, the Vikings have three fourth-rounders here. Um, Rashad Weaver, the edge rusher out of Pittsburgh. Um, again, you know, you, you just got to kind of stockpile. At this point in the draft, you're just kind of finding areas you want more depth, bringing in extra guys, and just kind of seeing what you can get out of them. Um, so when you look at some of these other uh, draft picks, as the Vikings taking Joshua Bledsoe, safety out of Missouri, try and get uh, some help in the back end of the secondary. Um Justin Hillard at 168, linebacker out of Ohio State. Um, kind of scrolling down the line here, we're in round six. I think the Vikings don't have too many picks left, but that'll change with Spielman. He loves the seventh-round picks. Um, Cameron Bynum, cornerback uh, out of California. Um, continuing here, I think we got uh, comp pick. They'll take Riley Cole, linebacker out of South Alabama. Um, and again, most people haven't heard of these guys. Most of these guys probably won't amount to anything, but just kind of get more bodies in, special teams all-stars, developmental players, kind of guys maybe just to kind of fill space and maybe, and best case scenario, develop into somebody you can use later. And that is it for the draft. It looks like, and maybe I'm missing something here, but the Vikings are not holding a seventh round pick. So that's definitely going to change with Spielman. But anyway, I think, you know, there's a lot to talk about with the NFL draft. There's a lot of interesting things still in motion, but I think, I think, the Vikings will make it interesting, but I really think they need to play it safe and take that offensive lineman. I don't think anybody would be upset at them. I think people would be writing them letters of gratitude at that point. I think the only thing that could get dicey is if they take a cornerback or an edge rusher, um, which makes more sense probably for them to take an edge rusher at 14. Also, they could trade back. I don't see the Vikings trading up. I see maybe them trading back is more likely, but you never know. So... All right, well, um, I think that about wraps it up. That'll do it for uh, this episode of the Minnesota Sports Podcast. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.